Hello, I'm Katie Jarvis. Today's episode is sponsored by the University of Tennessee at Martin. UT Martin offers more than 100 academic areas of study within 18 undergraduate degree programs. Contact UT Martin today to find a program that's right for you. This is Scott Williams, the host of Real Foot Forward, where every week we explore the people, the culture, and the history of our beautiful home right here in West Tennessee, just like we do every single day at our museum in Heritage Park, Discovery Park of America. My guest today is Lisa Garner, who is the executive director of The Co. and the owner of Garner Blue. First of all, I want to back all the way up. Okay. Because you're not from around here, as no, they say. No, I'm not. So I'm where not. are you from? I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Very So nice. I went to Union University there in Jackson and somehow stayed. Very nice. <laughs> so I graduated in 2004, so okay. it's been a while. So what, um, what was life growing up like? What was yeah. it like growing up in Wisconsin? Yeah, well, it was really fun. So my family's business is archery. And when I say that, that means that my dad and uncle and grandmother ran an archery store that my grandfather actually started. So he used to do trick archery shooting with my grandmother, actually. And they had a range and a shop. Um, so they produced arrows and a thing called a bodkin. And they had places where people could come and join leagues. Um, there's a retail component. And so I grew up at the archery shop. So what was there? Uh, first of all, you're the very yeah. first person who I've ever met who has that <laughs> background. That's fascinating. Yeah. Um, so what was the name of it? Whiffin Archery. So my maiden name's Whiffin. Okay. So Whiffin's our family name. Um, so yeah, Whiffin Archery. And it was down there kind of in the middle of... Um, a rough area sort of in, in Milwaukee um, for several years and just in the middle of the city, basically. And they did programs like with the school system, teaching archery and all that. Um, I grew up going to archery like shoots on the weekends. So can you still can you still shoot? You know, it's been a minute since I've shot anything um, and I've never been hunting. I was never really into the whole hunting thing. So my dad was, he didn't make me go, which is great. <laughs> is, it si- is it still there? Is there? It's is not. It- so that okay. a couple of years ago they sold it. Um, they still, my dad, like forever and my uncle too, just can't get away from stuff like that. So he has an eBay business where he sells different points and things like that. Um, heads and stuff for arrows. He's a collector of broadheads and bodkins and all those kinds of things. Um, so, but the business itself's not there. So there, I mean, a lot of people I'm sure collect you know, like fancy bows yeah. and arrows and stuff is like a Whiffen one that, you know, like... Yeah, people... so Whiffen bows, uh, Larry Lawrence Whiffen is my grandfather's name and also my dad's name. And in the archery realm, that's a name that, you know, people would know uh, since he did all the trick shooting and all that stuff. And then there's like a Wisconsin uh, Hall of Fame for archery and he's been inducted and my grandmother was too. Um, I think this is horrible. I think my dad actually was a couple of years ago too. So, so do um, you have do, do you have like family. old pictures of your grandmother and grandfather? I do. Like, yeah, doing tri- I actually have this really great. Yes, no, I'm like no joke. I have the apple photo. I have framed in our living room a photo of her with a bubble, like blowing a bubble out of her mouth, and he's like aiming to shoot an arrow out of it. Wow. Um, yeah, so I've got some cool photos and photos of her. She was big into archery too. My grandmother was, and so my grandfather actually died. When my dad was 16, and so she mm. took over the archery business and kind of kept it going and so I've got some cool photos of her like shooting and she was really involved with what it. a great story and so, she's passed away now. She has. Mm-hmm. That would be a great documentary. Yeah. yeah there's I mean there's a lot of cool stuff there with their story that it would be neat to 
kind of dig up a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So until now, I just thought of Laverne and Shirley when I thought of that <laughs> part of the country. So now yeah, there's more to new, it. Yeah, I have a whole new idea about yeah, it. Yeah, for okay, sure. Okay, so, so you are the little archer girl, and little you, archer you girl are <laughs> living there. And what in the world made you think, you know, I would like to go to Union University yeah. down south? Well, so my other side of the family, my mom's dad, who, I mean, honestly, I could probably go on about him forever as well. He like developed cameras and invented some lenses and, but he lived in Florida. So we would drive down from Wisconsin to see him every year in Florida and stop in Tennessee. And my parents were kind of obsessed, my mom specifically. And she was always like, we're going to live in Tennessee one day. We're going to retire to Tennessee. So when it came time to look for colleges, she said, look, here's a couple in Tennessee. Maybe we could go look at those. And I didn't expect to like it. (laughs) I was kind of like, I'm not going to do that. And I just really liked Union. And so it kind of drew me in. And my parents actually now live in Crossville. So they're here in Tennessee as well. Very nice. So you're close. Yeah. Um, And so do you still have family up? My uncle still lives there. Uh, We have a family cabin that's on Lake Superior. Mm -hmm. And so he goes up there as much as he can. And we've got some cousins. And so we go there occasionally. It's just kind of far. But it definitely is. It has that home pull like sure. any, you know and i mean the great lakes like lake michigan lake superior there's not a body of water around here like that right yeah <laughs> so, we are we're very landlocked here yes in Tennessee. yes so um so it's cold there though it is cold very in the winter cold. for sure i've and been up there a little bit yeah i'm not a fan of that really yeah. Um, we haven't had yeah. any winter here in no, Tennessee. That, you know, because of global warming, we have no winters here anymore. Yeah, we yeah. may have to go back up to Wisconsin. In I order know. To bring a little bit of the snow back the down. Packer game looked like it was freezing cold and snowy. So. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe it was. So you, what was your major at Union? Digital media studies. Okay. Um, so more like a graphic design kind of a thing with computer mm-hmm. science, communication, and art emphasis. And I was definitely more of the art side, the computer science element was tricky. (laughs) And and what did you want to do? But I kind of wanted to, I thought about like art education kind of going that route, but really graphic design. Like that's sort of where I thought I would end up after graduation. Yeah. I started out in graphic design. Okay. Well, I started out in sculpture and then went to graphic design and then ended up in journalism. Okay. I bounced around a lot. Yeah, for sure. It's a good base though. What did you want to do with it though? What was your... I mean, I just, I think I was just into, I still love logos and just designing things, like making things aesthetically pleasing, basically. Um, So whether that was, you know, a website or, you know, a promotional postcard or something at that point, it was more of that stuff. I wasn't thinking website in 2004 as much. Um, But just, you know, presenting things in a way that is appealing for people. And I still think design is hugely valuable for that, um, for that reason. So, and, and you uh, graduated, what was your first, I don't know if you worked while you were in school, but what was your first graphic design? um, Well, you know, I did a little bit of freelance, but really right when I graduated, I started working in the recruiting office for the college. So I ended up being an admissions counselor and did not go into a design-focused role. Um, so, yeah, admissions was my first thing. But you've, you've set down the bow and arrow. You're working in an <laughs> office now. Um, surely yeah. you were, you know, missing a creative outlet. Definitely. Of, of, so yeah. did you do some yeah. stuff on the side? I totally did some stuff on the side. I, um, you know, the admissions job led to actually a job for a real estate agent where I was working and helping him with closing transactions and, you know, a fine job, but 
felt like it really wasn't utilizing myself. And so I started doing a lot of fun stuff on the side. Um, one of them was actually the company that I still have right now called Garner Blue, where I dyed with indigo and created all different products using indigo dye. So scarves, tea towels, pillow covers, a whole line of items. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you about yeah. that. So this is a, that's a good yeah. segue into that. I led what, you right in. What, do you know Sarah Bellos? <laughs> yes. So, uh-huh. so totally she's do, working yes. with us a little bit on our ag exhibit. Awesome. Very on. cool. So she's got a really neat story. Yes. So she's working to convert a lot of the indigo or a lot of the tobacco farms into indigo farms mm-hmm. here in Tennessee. So elaborate a little yeah. bit on what so you do with all that. What I do with it, and I've actually gotten some indigo from Stony Creek Colors from Sarah's company. Um, basically, indigo is a it's a plant and it's a it, just a dye that works with natural fiber. So cotton, silk are primarily the fibers that I use. And I just take them from their raw form and sometimes I'll sew them into different shapes and then I'll dye them. So everything is blue. People ask a lot of times, do you work with other colors? And indigo is specifically the dye that I work with. I was going to look and see um, if your hands were blue. They're not um, right but, now. So okay. I'm actually in the middle of moving my home studio and a tiny retail shop that I had and combining them into a larger retail shop mm. and a studio. So the last like month has been, whoa, focused on that. So I really haven't even... This is so sad to say. I haven't even dyed anything in like yeah. a month. So you're feeling probably. the itch, I guess. I'm feeling the itch. Yeah. I actually do have some stuff I need to try to do within the next two weeks. We'll see how that goes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so my hands aren't blue right now. And I really, <laughs> I normally wear gloves. Ah, so, okay. you know, they're always a little bit blue, but not as much as they would be if I just straight up. Yeah. And my wife, we, we discussed earlier, yeah. you're friends with my cousin Rachel yes. and my wife, and she have been in your shop. And, yes. you know, I, we probably have things in our house that I think that came you do. From your I shop. can't remember what she got, but she got yeah. something. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I'll go home and look for it. Too. I'll look for something blue. <laughs> something blue, and then you'll yeah. find it. Yeah. So, so you, um, before we jump into the retail, because I want to ask you about that too, yeah. how you started that. But um, so you, um, um, started dabbling in mm-hmm. it, and what what made you want to start working with indigo? Yeah, I didn't well, even know actually, indigo was a plant. I thought it was like a color. Yeah, so it's a it's a plant. It's a fiber, um, or that works with fibers. It's a pigment. But yeah, I actually so I was doing this job, didn't really love New Year's resolution to plan one fun, cool activity per month. And so the one that I did with a friend, we called it camp. I love that. And let me just let me just stop for a minute and say <laughs> okay. that is a great idea. Yeah. Anybody out there who's listening into this who's like kind of uh, feeling no purpose, that's a great way. Do something that you like was kind of my thing. I was like, I don't have to get paid for it, but I could at least like some stuff that I'm working on. Um, So we planned this thing that we called camp, which stood for curating artisan method and provision. And we brought together 12 women that were interested in doing some creative things. And we worked on different craft methods. So indigo dyeing, we just started to see some stuff like tutorials online about it and I was like that would be a fun that that should be one of the methods we also did um, we made leather clutches and we did like nautical rope mats where we tied I hated those by the way Um, (laughs) but yeah and so I learned just enough to be dangerous sort of just enough to like teach a couple women about it Um, and really at that retreat at the the camp event I was like this is so much fun like I want to keep dying stuff. And I don't know what that's going to be. And so I kind of just made, you know, um, I actually started with a woven cotton scarf and made it for several friends and family. I was like, people seem to really like this. Maybe I could sell this to other people. And so that same friend that I did that event with, we did a pop-up shop and we did that in Jackson and people were into it. And so it just kind of grew from there. But yeah, that's kind of where I I started to actually teach people about it. And now I think that's comical because I really hardly knew what I was doing at all. (laughs) See, I think that's the key is that you didn't start off 
you know, wanting to be an expert and yeah. having a huge empire. Yeah. You just started off small, <laughs> yeah. you know, and let it grow mm-hmm. organically, pardon the pun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, I think that's what a lot of people don't know how to start. You know, totally. to me, that's whether it's writing or drawing yeah, or art just or do it. any kind of creativity. Mm-hmm. It's just, or learning how to code. Right. You know, it's just start from day one. Totally. totally. Um, and so you continued to be into it. Mm-hmm. And then at what point did you think, you know what, I'm going to parlay this into a retail establishment? You know, I think, so really, it was the pop-up shops for years. Pop-up shops, kind of exhausting because you're basically setting up a full retail shop for a weekend. That's how I was doing it. And I, you know, at some point was like, this is so much work. Like, I don't know how this is going to continue. I also travel to different like curated art markets and sell online. And at this time, did you um, have other jobs as well? Or yeah, is this I, was, just I your... mean, I was at the Co. really. So okay. we're uh, going to talk about the Co. Yeah, minute, we'll talk so. about that in a minute. Yeah. But yeah, although it was sort of happening at the same time, okay. like I was kind of doing Garner Blue already, but then the position at the Co. started pretty soon after I really did my first pop-up shop kind of. Um, And then there's a thing called The Local in Jackson, Tennessee, which was created by our downtown development group and several awesome sponsors. But basically it's an experiment in micro retail. So there there are three micro retail units. They're 12 by 24 spaces in downtown across from our farmer's market. And the opportunity came up for me to be in one of those and actually share those with another friend who has another business. And so I could still be a part of that and have my work in there, but she was going to work it, which was great because I have a full-time job. So I was like, I don't really know how that would work for me to be there. She said, I'll work it. We'll just share the space. I paid a little bit more in rent. And so that started, it's been a little over two years ago that we were in that space. And it was just fun. Like it was just cool having kind of a home for it. And to say like, you know, maybe it's just Fridays and Saturdays, but we're open weekly and you can pop in. And so I started carrying other handmade things as well as my line, which is cool because I meet a lot of different artists when I go to these markets um, kind of throughout the U.S. and get to kind of handpick things that I think that people in Jackson would like and things that I think they should like. <laughs> so I get to bring yeah. them back and, and put them in the shop. Well, so. We have a thing here uh, in the high season at Discovery Park. We have a shop called the Hugh Wade Feed Store okay. where we feature locally produced yeah. merchandise. We'll have to get some of your yes. stuff in there yes. this summer. Put it in there. Yeah, that'll be fine. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll, um, we'll make that happen. Okay. Um, and so how did it work? Did you, yeah. do you what were the challenges? Uh, some challenges yeah. were... I mean, there's definitely, like, we still had people, like, the very, you know, we kind of closed now while we're getting to move. Still November and December of this year, people popping in and saying, I wondered what these things were. This, I, these weird little buildings over here, you know, what is that? And we're like, oh, it's just micro retail. Welcome. Let us tell you about it. You know, so that's a challenge. Uh, foot traffic in Jackson, in downtown Jackson's a challenge. And that's something that's kind of key for some retail. Um, but other than that, it was a pretty good experiment. It was very low risk, low rent. Um, you signed a one-year lease, and then you could extend to two. And then it was meant to just sort of after two years say, all right, so what are you doing? Yeah. All right, was it good enough to continue, or do you want to stop? And we wanted to continue. So um, we've talked about the Co. Yeah. So let's talk yeah, a little bit about that. Let's talk about the Co, for sure. So like this, like I said, the Co kind of started around that same time. So that was like April 2014, maybe 2015. I don't know. 
double check me. A few years ago. A few years ago. Um, But basically the co started with five guys. One of them's here and he's going to actually talk about another one of our programs. But five guys getting together and saying, we want to have a space where people can really kind of work together and learn from each other. They could have decided to do hamburgers. But instead. (laughs) They could have. Instead of hamburgers. They, yeah. That was a whole other thing. That would have been way more money making for them. But, you know, whatever. (laughs) They did this instead. Um, (laughs) But let's get together. And um, they have really different backgrounds. And, you know, there's there's some techies and coders and people who are into finances and spreadsheets and starting businesses. And so they were like, we want a place where we can all get together and just kind of learn from each other. And there was an existing entrepreneur development center in our downtown. And it just sort of worked to where um, they could kind of meld this co-working space, maker space, and entrepreneur development center together. And basically, I came, I kind of came in right when the board of the Entrepreneur Development Center had just agreed for that to happen. And just a friend of a friend kind of met one of the founders and was like, you should just talk to him and you should tell him about camp and you should tell him about Garner Blue and all the stuff that you're into. And so I just went for a conversation one day to talk to Ben Ferguson, who's one of the co-founders of The Co, and just told him all the stuff that I was into. And little did I know, it sort of turned into a job interview. And he asked me to come back the next day and meet with these other guys. (laughs) And so I did that and was offered a position at that point, just as basically to be one of two full-time staff that would be working on The Co. And so what is the the sort of... What is the, what is the yeah, purpose? The purpose of the co, it really, it was a space to be a collaborative, you know, to learn from each other, um, potentially. So with a makerspace component to have a place to like prototype and build and tinker the co-working, you know, to get people out of their house and have a more professional space. And then really to have these kind of events and gatherings that just bring people from different spheres together so that you could learn from each other. So a lot of people um, who live in rural communities, um, may have an idea in them or want to try something new or, you know, and without a space like this, they probably wouldn't have a lot of resources. Yeah. Um, If you're living in Seattle or, you know, if you're (laughs) in New York, you know, there are are these, this exists elsewhere. Yes, yes. Um, And so um, talk a little bit about some of the stories of the people who you know who are taking advantage of this. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's, I think that the co is one of those things that people would say that has had influence. Um, Some of them have like worked directly out of our space and been what we call co-members. And then some of them have just, you know, come in for a meeting just to kind of run some things past someone who would think differently than they would or, you know, would have a new direction to take them. Um, So I think even about like, uh, so Jackson Escape Rooms, and I think Lee Wilson maybe has been on this podcast before. Yeah, he has. He's one of our Um, earlier guests. Yeah, there you go. So uh, Lee is actually a great friend of mine. Um, But whenever they started Jackson Escape Rooms, they were going gangbusters. And his wife actually has an MBA, but it's so different to get an MBA and then all of a sudden to find yourself in business. And so they did our co-starters program. And I think it was a really good place for them to sort of say like, okay, this has proved a great concept, but how do we get some of the basics so that we can know that we're doing this right on the front end and really like doing the business stuff right so we can feel safe about it. Um, So there, one example, I mean, there's people who have come in just to like 3D print parts for their car. Um, There's this one older gentleman that I'm thinking about that he actually lives in Nashville and he comes to our makerspace so that he can use a laser cutter and etcher because he feels comfortable there. You know, it's not necessarily this like place where (laughs) you have to feel like you have to be this certain cool person to come. And so he just, he feels comfortable. He wants to use our equipment and he's making products to sell on his Etsy site and, you know, 
So there's all different kinds of people that we've connected with, um, students doing the coding program. There's so many different people that really have been affected by the space. It's been really neat to be a part of, for sure. So what? So you're obviously surrounded by all these stories and conversations and dialogues. What do you find yeah. um, is a common challenge that folks trying to do creative, new kind of uh uh, business in a, even though Jackson, yeah. you know, Union City, you know, we're in your backyard. Yeah, you yeah. Know, so if you're a rural community, we're really, so you're more of a, um, a somewhat urban center, whereas we're really a rural community, but we're only, you know, an hour and a half away. Yeah. Um, what are some of the challenges people trying mm-hmm. to do that kind of business, do you think? I think fine? some, one of the main challenges is it's really kind of giving themselves the allowance to do it. Um, a lot of the people that come in through the co have other full-time gigs and what they're working on their project or their idea is sort of like a side hustle. And that can be hard when you've got family and you've got this other thing that's sort of paying the bills. So taking that time and giving themselves the time and proving to themselves that it's worth it to spend that time on themselves and their idea. Um, that's a challenge. That's probably a challenge anywhere. I don't know if that's like a rural Tennessee challenge. Well, but, I mean, one thing my but, wife and I have both picked up on separately and then discussed it, you know, and we was like, oh, I was thinking the same thing, is it felt like a lot of the people that we encounter here have a job and then a side hustle yeah. or two or three where they're um, finding immense creative outlet, even though they would never consider themselves a creative person necessarily, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but they're either carving or mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're just doing all kinds of fun, interesting things um, that, uh, you know, and, and we didn't quite know as many people doing that. That's you interesting. Know, in okay. the city, in the this big is city. Sem- this has seemed like so normal for me yeah. um, since, you know, I've been here and I do that. And so when I meet other people that are, it, it is feels so normal to me, but it's just kind of more of, Sometimes asking them, do you want this to be the full-time thing? And sometimes they don't. You know, it's just they want to continue doing what they're doing and what they love, but they don't necessarily want it to take over full-time. And then sometimes they do. And so it's, well, what are the steps that we can help you with to make that happen? Or what can we just help make it be more sustainable for you to even keep doing that thing that you love with the work that you sort of have to do or, you know. So, yeah, another challenge. Let's see. I think sometimes it's... Well, a lot of times people think that it would be access to capital. So they think that they don't have, you know, that access to money. But for the most part, I mean, you alluded to this earlier, starting small is the best way to go. And so, you know, people don't always need that, you know, $200,000 loan to get an idea off. It can be a lot better just to start it with maybe $200 and see if it's something that really could take root. Right. Um, but I think on the front end, that's something that people view as a big challenge is that they don't have the money or the access to it. I think some people think they have to start off with, you know, the Harry Potter book, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, you maybe you'll never write a Harry Potter book, right. but, you know, if, if you don't write, you'll never know correct. if you're going to write the Harry Potter And if Potter you're book. enjoying the time you spend, do just like you talked about, you know, how you truly loved the time you spent doing it. Yeah. To me, there are things like that I have that just time evaporates when right. I'm doing it. And I know I'm in the zone, you know, and so getting in the zone to me is well worth, now I wouldn't mind 
having totally. Harry Potter money, but um, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, you yeah, know, for sure. I guarantee you, she had no more fun writing Harry Potter than I do some of the things I do. So I think yeah. that's the thing is just getting people out of them in front of the TV set mm-hmm. and getting the phone put away. Yeah, you know, and just diving into something that where you're using your mind and your heart yes. and your hands to create. Yeah, I think it makes everything better that you do, even your normal real job. You know, if you're doing something that that you love, if that doesn't happen in your day-to-day work then get outside and do it some other way you know so you could you could with with what you've done so far you could very easily move to an atlanta or dallas or new york or you know dc you know what why uh what are the benefits of Of jackson of uh, of jackson well definitely cost of living is a huge benefit for just being practical for sure um you know i mean i we live in a small house but even our small house would be double, triple somewhere else. Uh, my husband's a musician. Jackson's really centrally located for him to kind of travel. His label's in Florence. Uh, he goes to Nashville a ton and, and what's his all over. Band his band, he's called The Colonel. Um, and K-E-R-N-A-L. Luke's shaking and his head. I see that. Do you know oh, the Colonel? Yes. Awesome. Luke knows the Colonel. Um, so, yeah. So, and that, I mean, is that an Elvis reference? The Colonel? <laughs> no, it's it's based on all different things. My husband okay. is probably the most creative person that I know. And so there's like four different reasons that, you know, he goes by the Colonel. Okay. Um, a tiny Colonel, you know, what could it become? And, you know, a nod to kind of a military thing and all different things we need so. to get him here for rhythm on the rails to, to play yes that's another i need to i need my pad yeah chambry's in here chambry are you writing <laughs> that writing down for me down. okay good um but yeah so or it's centrally located for that i mean honestly i feel like it's not even just for jackson i feel like i'm getting to do everything that i want to do and it just happens to be that i get to do that in jackson uh i love garner blue and the shop and getting to make stuff i love what i get to do with the co and work with different people to kind of develop the ideas that they have so maybe i could do this any of those other places but i'm doing it here so why would i yeah <laughs> you know i mean i think some of, for for somebody who's listening who's never lived in a smaller community yeah i think some of it is just a quality of life issue mm-hmm. i mean when you can go to the gym you can drop your clothes off you can get back to work. I mean, it's just you see everybody everywhere yeah. you go. You see people that you know and you yeah. you know talk and you know. I just think that there's a real strong quality of life that I'm finding in yeah. a smaller community. Totally, definitely. So if somebody wanted to uh, check out some of your indigo products, yeah. where would they go? Garnerblue.com is the best way to look on my website. Uh, the shop is here in downtown Jackson, Garner Blue Shop. So if they were local and wanted to pop into Jackson, that would be great. But my website is the best place to see everything. And then what's next for you? What, what's on the horizon? Oh my gosh. Well, the shop feels like, I mean, you know, it's happening right now. So that feels like sort of a next. There's new things, new components that we'll be playing is there in. There's going to be I'll like a big opening workshops. party. There is. There's an opening party um, January 25th. So it's coming up pretty soon. I don't know when this will air, but okay. <laughs> yeah. So it may quick. have already happened. It so. might have already happened. Yeah. Um, we'll pretend like yeah. it happened and we'll say, oh, wasn't that fun? Totally. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so there's that. Um, but there's going to be, I mean, we're going to do workshops there. We're going to have kind of, really, I just have visions of it being a space that people can kind of come in and just feel like, good about being there and get to use some do some of their own creative things in the space as well so um that's like a right now but it also feels like a next thing yeah (laughs) um yeah, and then I the co. There's always new things happening and going on with the co. One of those See, is mean, driving I'm, innovation, which you'll hear about. But I'm thinking that um, 
everything I've read indicates that the economy is going to continue at this very positive pace that it's at right now for a number of years to (laughs) come. And that's going to only do well for, for people who want it access, you know, people should really take advantage of that. Totally. You know, Mm -hmm. and, and Jackson's so close, It is. you know, that even people who, no matter where you live, right. You know, and there are also places like that you know, in cities there around are. the country. Um, and so I just think it's, you know, people should just, whatever they've been, whatever they've been itching to do, yeah. they just need to do just it. come on in and talk about it. Kind of help you figure out a plan. There you go. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for yeah. joining me thank here today. Thank you for having me. And now Andrew Gibson is taking us behind the scenes at Discovery Park of America to see what we may be able to discover today. Thank you, Scott. I am Andrew Gibson with the Education Department here at Discovery Park of America. And today I'm joined by Russell Orr, Discovery Park's very own in-house scientist, who will be sharing with us more and about telescopes. Uh, we have many telescopes on display here at the park located on our third and upper level. Uh, so, Russell, what are we, what are we going to share with the world about telescopes today? Well, I thought that we should talk about telescopes since, as you know, Andrew, uh, we often have stargazing events here at Discovery Park. We, you know, have like an astronomer comes by and we go out and, and use our telescopes. But the thing is, Discovery Park has several different kinds of telescopes. And there are, are two major branches that a telescope will, will uh, fall under. You have either your refracting telescopes and you have your reflecting telescopes. Uh, and and so what's the what's the biggest difference between those? Okay, so a refracting telescope uses a series of lenses in order to uh, magnify what you can see when you look through it. A reflector telescope uses a series of mirrors instead, uh, and one of them, it turns out, is clearly better than the other. And which one is clearly the the better one? Well, you really, 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 if you want to have a telescope, would probably rather have a reflecting telescope if you were a scientist. Uh, There are several reasons for this. One of them is, um, you know, the different colors of light, they have slightly different focal points. They they behave, you know, like, like a family of siblings. You know, the oldest and the youngest don't quite behave alike because they're not the same size, not the same age. Well, uh, violet light and red light are, are quite different, uh, so they 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 come to focus at different points, and this can give you uh, unusual problems in your image. That's uh, called chromatic aberration, where the different colors uh, focus at different points, and it will make uh, the edges blurry, which is really bad. I mean, if you're trying to figure out a planet and you're trying to figure out what the atmosphere is, which will be around the edge, don't you want to know what color it really is? I certainly do. Of course you do, and so do scientists. Um, Another problem with refracting telescopes is holding up the lenses. Now, you and I both wear glasses. Isn't that right, Andrew? It is. And our lenses are are held around uh, the edge, right? You know, they're they're held around the rim. Well, the glasses that we have don't have lenses that weigh a whole lot. But if we had really big lenses, uh, holding them up would be an issue pretty quickly. Uh, they have to be very precisely aligned. You can't let them sag or bend or you'll throw off your amazingly beautiful telescope. Uh, not only that, but you can only support a lens around the circumference, right? Now, how big is the mirror in the bathroom in your house? I don't know the exact. Well, how is it like more than three feet wide? Yes. Of course. Well, mine is like five and a half feet wide because you can put 
a back support on the mirror. You can support it from the entire back, which means uh, you can make mirrors much, much bigger than you can lenses and not have them sag. Uh, so uh, whenever scientists are using telescopes, nowadays, uh, you're going to have reflectors that, that dominate the, uh, well, it's not really an industry, but, but dominate the field because they have numerous advantage over refraction tele refracting telescopes. And now we have both. We have both, but you can make a reflecting telescope really, really big. So we also have electric telescopes. Um, what about, what, what's the deal with those? Uh, the, you mean the ones that we, we pivot around with motors when we're looking around? Uh, so that, that telescope that we use, it is a reflecting telescope, and uh, it's pre-programmed so that we can uh, find all the different, star, uh, different stars. Just like if I, you know, we have all these landmarks at Discovery Park. If I said, told you that you're somewhere between the doctor's cabin, which is on your right, and the loom house, which is on your left— there's only one place that you could be. You'd be have to be somewhere along that line. So that's what that telescope does. You you put um, uh, celestial uh, landmarks, if you will, uh, and it figures out where everything else is based on where those objects are. All right. Well, I know a lot of our listeners have discovered something new today. I know I certainly have. I want to thank you all for listening. We want to thank Russell for coming on today. Uh, so once again, this has been Real Foot Forward, a West Tennessee podcast, and we hope to see you here at Discovery Park of America real soon. Thank you for listening to Real Foot Forward. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you may be listening. Plan your own adventure to see beyond at Discovery Park of America by visiting discoveryparkofamerica.com. Be sure to also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for the latest updates.